Welcome to September's Volume 2 of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. 
as I said, this is volume two, and we are covering all things the WWF and the breakdown pay-per-view. Volume one this month is the wonderfully random world of WCW and their idea to bring back the Ultimate Warrior and also their full brawl pay-per-view. And in ECW, we are just having a TV month where we are building up to November to remember. I am joined this month by Dan Welling. Dan, how the devil are we? Uh, I've actually been quite unwell all weekend, which has not been great for my social life. But it actually legitimately means that I'm damn sick and tired, sick and tired for actually legitimate reasons for a change rather than working that somehow into the show. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm looking forward to talking all things Federation uh, September 1998. So shameless plugs in at first. So we are on Patreon and for five of your US dollars, which is about four pounds something in UK money, you can get access to our super awesome specials. Uh, this month, Rory has watched a random episode of ECW, uh, Hardcore TV, which was the Patreon exclusive. Um, there will be at least one Patreon exclusive every month for the $5 tier. We are also introducing something for you guys that only play the $1 tier. You will get early access to shows as and soon as they are done. Uh, so like this one, we're recording on the 23rd. It will be edited up during the middle of the week, so you will get it pre-weekend. So a few days head start on those who don't pay. So obviously, if you are interested in that, which really does help, it means that, you know, it pays for the hosting fees and all that sort of wonderful behind the scenes fees that people don't realize are on a podcast. That is patreon.com forward slash wrestling 20 YRS. So it is that time of the day. It's time for the news. Dan, bring me your headlines. Your new WF champion is. Well. We're not really sure who the champion is, as the belt seems to have been put on hold post-breakdown when Kane and Taker score simultaneous pins and now must face each other next month with Stone Cold as the ref. A strong SummerSlam buy rate. So, Multichannel's news has reported that SummerSlam may have drawn over half a million buys on pay-per-view, which is over one point. 5% buy rate, far above the 234,000 reported buys of last year's SummerSlam. Early figures indicate that SummerSlam surpassed in buys WCW's World Wild, which featured Jay Leno, which brought in 32,000 buys, and did the same neighbourhood as the Bash at the Beach show, which involved Carl Malone and Dennis Rodman. The success of SummerSlam shows that the WWF can draw on the top buy rates of the year without having to use external celebrity enhancements. Stone Cold Steve Austin in high demand. So, in the past few weeks, Stone Cold has appeared on Regis and Kathy Lee, which I'm led to believe, because we're English, I don't really know, is a very, very highly rated breakfast morning show in America. During the segment, Austin wrestled with Regis and gave him the stunner. Regis sold it, 
as if Austin had injured him in real and even played it into the media that he was going to file charges or sue Austin. Two days later, he did admit that it was a publicity stunt and he wasn't really injured. Ricky Lake is trying to get him to be on the hair show later in the year. Rolling Stones magazine is working on a feature for Steve Austin with reporters following him around recent house show appearances and also accompanied him on a hunting trip and see his home life. The WF are quite careful to protect his image and don't want lots of details to be published of his wife and children, though. And also in the wonderfully juvenile celebrity death match on MTV, we got to see Stone Cold versus Vince McMahon in claymation, at least. Other WWF stars in mainstream spots. So it's not just Stone Cold that is in the mass media at the moment. Jerry Lawler will be playing himself in the Andy Kaufman film starring Jim Carrey and also with Danny DeVito in there. JR, Jim Ross, has also been in LA filming a role for the Man on the Moon film. Um, it is believed that during recent filming, Jerry Lawler did get into a bit of a tatate with Mr. Carey, which could cause them to have a few little issues going forward. Sable has been off taping a role in the upcoming show Pacific Blue, where she is going to play an evil prison guard. And Owen Hart and Bret Hart have reunited to film an episode of the TV show version of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And everything WWF sells. So, in the post-hour SummerSlam hour on the Home Shopping Network, a quarter of a million dollars worth of merch was sold. And on recent house show loops, they have been averaging $150,000 every show. And if that wasn't enough, the latest video game from acclaimed WWF Warzone is the top-selling video game in the US as of right now. So, anything from that news that you wanted to go over in any more detail? or? Yeah, I just think, I just quite like the fact that WWF managed to outdraw WCW with an actual main event rather than something that was involving Jay Leno, you know, you know, beating them, which is quite nice for just for quality purposes going forward. It's like, oh yes, we can't just grab some, you know, celebrity and put him in and put in having him have an arm bar with Hulk Hogan and expect it to draw loads of money. Um, so maybe that will give WCW a bit of a kick up the backside going forward for their pay per views. But clearly, WWF are in really strong position just in terms of their pop culture. Um, even if business is doing brilliantly and their pop culture is increasing, and it's, it's yeah, really good news for them all wearing round, really. As I say, this level of mainstream publicity has, hasn't really been seen since the 80s heyday, with obviously Hogan being everywhere. So it is quite nice to see that wrestling as a whole, because obviously WCW with Hogan and DDP and the use of celebrities is getting mainstream publicity. The Fed are getting it as well. You know, it's only good for wrestling as the whole. 
So we are going to go into the TV reviews for the month. The first week's Raw wasn't on a Monday. It was actually on a Saturday night. The show's opens up with Vince coming out, telling him that he will experience a breakdown he calls Kane and Taker putrid pussies, which causes them to come out and chase him out of the building. This line will come back to haunt us for the whole night. We have a match between the DOA and Steve Blackman and Ken Shamrock, which ends in a no contest as Kane and Taker beat down Shamrock and Blackman. We have a match between Val Venus and Vader, which ends in a no contest as Kane and Taker come down and beat the shit out of them again. Though we do see Dustin walking around with a sign in the crowd saying he's coming back. The New Age Outlaws had a tag team title match against Rock and Mark Henry. The Nation won by DQ when China beats down Mark Henry. Tiger Ali Singh came out and offers $500 to kiss his helper Babu. The fan does. Then Kane and Taker come out and choke slams Tiger Ali Singh and Babu. The Headbangers had a match against Southern Justice, where Southern Justice won with a reverse DDT on Mosh. Kane smashes down Vince's door with a sledgehammer backstage, trying to get hold of him. X-Puck versus D'Lo Brown for the European title ends in a no contest, as Jeff Jarrett attacks X-Puck as he was about to win the title. They brawl as Kane and Taker come down and choke slams Rock and D'Lo Brown. Mark Hen- Mark Mero versus Edge ends in a no contest when Gangrel comes out and attacks Edge. Then Taker and Kane come down and beat down on Mero. We get a sit-down promo between Al Snow and JR, where Snow says Head is a bit like God. Just because you can't hear him doesn't mean he's not there. We then get a six-man tag match between the LOD 2000 and Dross versus the Oddities. The Oddities win after the giant silver hits a powerbomb on a seriously fucked up Hawk. He initially comes out to begin the match dancing with the Oddities and is absolutely wasted. We then see Too Much going against the Los Bariquas. Too Much win after Brian Christopher hits a top rope leg drop. And then the main event of the evening sees two Cold Scorpio going against Jeff Jarrett, which ends in a no contest as X-Puck attacks Jeff Jarrett as he's about to win. They then brawl into the crowd, Taker and Kane come out and beat down two Cold Scorpio as we go off the air. Week two's Raw is also on a Saturday night. We open up with Edge going against Jeff Jarrett. Edge wins by DQ as Double J smashes the guitar over his head. We then see Droz going against Bradshaw. Bradshaw wins with a rope-assisted roll-up. We get Mark Mero going against Miguel of Los Bariquas. He wins with a TKO. The Oddities go against the DOA, which is a no contest, as they beat all of the Oddities as they go into the ring. The top rope breaks, and... Basically, this just is no real reason for finish. We then see a Rock promo saying that he will always be the people's champ, and he calls out Taker and Kane after being chokeslammed last week. 
Too much versus Southern Justice, where Southern Justice win when Canterbury hits the reverse DDT on Taylor. Dustin versus Vader. Vader wins with a Vader bomb. During this match, Val is seen in the crowd with a sign saying, I have come. Al Snow comes out to ask for some officials. This brings out Patson, Briscoe and Slaughter. He then plays a game show style joke with them all to the point where he then hits Patson with head in head. We then see the headbangers going against Dilo and Mark Hendry. This ends in a no contest as China comes down and beats on Mark Henry again. And the main event sees an eight-man tag seeing DX going against Kai and Tai. DX win after X-Pux hits a super X-Factor on Takamishinoku. Week 3's Raw sees us going back to Mondays. Austin opens the show. Taker, Kane and Vince are all in the ring. Vince says that he has a master plan to take the belt from Austin. He guarantees that he will lose the title. Kane and Taker can't pin each other. Austin then beats on Vince until Taker and Kane beat him down. You'll hear that now. championship belt Whoa! and on Sunday night September 27 I won't have to see it again most of you know that recently I announced a master plan a master plan that would guarantee that Stone Cold Steve Austin on Sunday night September 27 would lose the WWF Championship. It's coming right out. Tell it like it is, JR. Most of you also know, and yet a further statement that on this night of Sunday night, September 27, I've ordered a triple threat match in which Stone Cold Steve Austin will defend the WWF title against both The Undertaker and Kane. Wow. Impossible odds for anyone to overcome. However, what none of you know, especially you, Austin, is that there's been a little business arrangement here, as you might suspect. You see, I've granted The Undertaker and Kane a title shot, but they're going to do a little something for me as well. You see, business is business. Don't get me wrong. There's no love lost between Vince McMahon and The Undertaker and Kane. I will never forgive or forget what you've done. However, uh oh. It's real simple, Austin. You see, I scratch their back and they scratch mine. What's he talking about now? Or maybe, maybe I shouldn't say they scratch my back. Maybe I should say they protect my back. Huh? 
You see, Austin, if you so much as lay one finger on me, one or both of these two monsters will be all over you. They'll annihilate you. He's bought protection, JR. That's what he's done. Which is what's going to happen on Sunday night, September the 27th. Anyhow, you're going to be annihilated. Now, why is it that Vince McMahon can guarantee to the public that the WWF title is going to change hands? Well, a number of reasons, but principal among them is this new stipulation in this triple threat match. A stipulation that was added just a moment ago. And that is, Undertaker, you are prohibited from defeating your brother Kane in this match. What? And Kane, you are absolutely prohibited from defeating your brother, The Undertaker, in this match. You see, this is not a normal triple threat match. No, now let me see. If my addiction is correct, I would say, in all likelihood, hey, this could be, this could be two against one. Duh. You Can see, Austin, that? you won't do business. You refuse to do business. You won't do things the easy way, like Undertaker and Kane. No, 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 no. You've got to do things the hard way. You've got to do things your way. So have it your way, all right? And on Sunday night, September 27, Austin, when you're flat on your back, looking up at these ring lights, and there's been an announcement that you are no longer the WWF champion. I want you to remember one thing. And that is Vince McMahon didn't screw Stone Cold Steve Austin. Oh no, not at all. Stone Cold screwed Stone Cold. No! The Road Dog had a match against Double J. Double J wins the match after a guitar shot, which he also hits Road Dog right in the larynx with the guitar handle. There's a match between Kane and The Rock. The Rock wins after Mankind hits Kane with a sledgehammer, and Rock gets a pin. Dustin comes out and gets a bit preachy about how, you know, modern society is all evil and wicked, and God will save us all. This brings out Val to show us his new film, The Preacher's Wife. Mankind has accepted the challenge. Here we go. Dustin Reynolds. Welcome to hell. Welcome to what? (laughs) Take a look around here. World Wrestling Federation. Man, oh man, I'm telling you what. Stained with vulgar language. 
stained with aggression and yes stained with sex is he talking about the clint star report or what val venus i told you he's coming and when he gets here you will repent i promise you hello ladies Repent? Repent for what, Dustin? Because I work hard? Or is it because I play hard? <laughs> and by the way, Dustin, speaking of work, let me introduce you to my latest video oh, entitled the preacher's wife what preacher's wife hello dustin you know something after you jumped me from behind last night i was a little hurt <laughs> in fact i even needed a little tlc so after i got back to the hotel i made a little phone call to the one person who could take my mind off all my aches and pains and make the big Balboski stand proud once again. <laughs> oh my God. And again. It's his wife. It's just his wife. Oh my God. I thought Dustin and his wife were trying to recon reconcile. <laughs> I guess getting on your knees, Dustin, runs in the family. Oh my gosh! This is him with Dustin's wife, who we knew as Marlena, who we now know his name is Terry. We then see a vignette for the newly coming man's man, Stephen Regal. The great outdoors, full of beauty and natural wonder. Fresh air, blue skies, tall trees. A lesser human might be humbled by its grandeur. But not this man. There's not a tree in the forest he can't cut down to size. Meet Stephen Regal, a man's man. Triple H and Owen Hart have an IC title match where Triple H wins after hitting a pedigree. Mankind and Undertaker have a match which goes to a no contest where Taker hits a brutal tombstone on a chair. There's a, it's an immense hardcore match. It's great. This gets thrown out when Rock comes down to make the save as Kane and Taker are about to smash a hammer into Mankind's head. Edge had a match against Gangrel, which ends in a countout. Post-match, Gangrel covers Edge in his drinking blood. 
X-Puck and China have a handicap match against Mark Henry. Henry manages to win after hitting a big power slam on China. We get an evening gown match between Jacqueline and Sable, which Sable wins. And in the main event, we see Stone Cold versus Ken Shamrock. This ends as a no contest as Kane and Taker come down at the end and beat down everyone. That is until Rock and Mankind come out to make the save and Austin hits chair shots on Taker and Kane. Week 4's Raw, week pre-pay-per-view, sees Rock, Shamrock and Mankind all in the ring to open up the show. And Vince tells us that there will be a triple threat match between them all to be the number one contender post the pay-per-view. Billy Gunn has a match against Double J, which he wins after hitting a big neckbreaker. We see Austin come out, and he cuts a promo telling us that if anyone tries to take the title off them, it will be personal. And at the pay-per-view, it won't be Austin 316, it will be Austin 666. The Headbangers are meant to have a match against the Oddities, but they spray aerosol in the Oddities' face before the match even starts. They beat down all the Oddities and tear up Cartman Doll. We see a women's title match between Jackie and Sable. Jacqueline gets the win after a suplex, which Mark Marrow assists from the outside. We then have a tag team match where it's Kane and The Undertaker versus Austin and a, anyone stupid enough to come and help him. That person was Billy Gum. Taker wins after hitting a chokeslam onto Gunn. Post-match, Austin hitting massive chair shots on both Kane and Taker. We then have a match between the DOA and Southern Justice, which ends in a no contest as Double J smashes a guitar over Paul Ellering. We then see Vince coming out again, saying that he's not surprised, but he is disappointed that Billy Gunn teamed for Boston tonight. We then have Al Snow going against Sergeant Slaughter in a boot camp match. After the match, Al wins with a headshot with head, and then he beats down Patterson and Briscoe. That is until they get the numbers advantage and Two Cold comes out to make the save. We then see Owen Hart versus Val Venus, which ends in a no contest as Dustin attacks Val. X-Puck versus D'Lo Brown for the European title. X-Puck wins with a top rope Super X-Factor for the win. And in a main event, Mankind versus Rock versus Shamrock ends in a no contest as Kane and Taker come down and attack everyone individually. During this time, Austin manages to get his licks in on Vince. So, Dan, we have sort of quickly bashed through the TV there. Was there anything on the pre-pay-per-view TV which you wanted to have anything to say about? I think they've done a very good job of making Kane and Undertaker seem like the insurmountable challenge that even a guy like Steve Austin can't take out. You know, the, the first roar of the month where they literally come down and destroy every single person that is stepping into that ring was just a simple yet a very effective way of showing that no matter where you are on the card, if these two guys come down, you aren't stopping them. And then that carries all the way through the month, all the way just from 
the tag matches they have, them interrupting the triple threat right at the end of the month. The only way that Austin is getting any kind of upper hand on them is when he's got a weapon in his hand. And when that takes out the win, even he can't stop them with that, um, you know, in that se- in-ring segment with um, the three of them and, and Vince. And then, yeah, just it just shows you that if you create jeopardy with your babyface champion effectively enough, people will buy that this match could actually be ending in a in a in a bad guy win, even though the match itself might not be that good, you know, because you know Taker and Austin didn't have a great match last month at the SummerSlam. Kane is still a pretty slow worker, so you're not going in there for work rate. You're going in there to see if Austin can um, conquer this insurmountable challenge that has been presented to him. Which is good. You know, I, I have enjoyed the build for this show. Um, and if we're now looking at the other side of the coin in this entire feud, Vince McMahon has been absolutely tremendous, I think, in this whole build. This is his, he's gone up a level even more so than he already has with his I hate Austin vitriol that he's coming up with. Um, the promo he cuts in the ring with Austin and King Taker is is fantastic. The master plan is is been drilled into our heads, you know, as as like the tagline for this show. Um, he's and again, as I said, he has kind of moved up a level as as a bad guy from you know when he was you know defeated at Over the Edge. He's kind of taking a back seat, being the puppet master more than the actual main antagonist. But now he has really stepped up again to be the foil for Austin, which again has been fantastic in the entertainment perspective because Vince as a bad guy promo is one of the best in the industry today, um, which is cons- insane considering where he was even six months ago as the, as the measured um, businessman who's now turning into the maniacal evil owner as we speak, which is, is again, it's great. I don't know what your thoughts are, Chris, but, I, I have enjoyed the um, the main event build up to this show quite a lot. Yeah, it's one of those of, in a way, obviously when I was watching that first episode of Raw, and I was just like, is any match going to end properly? Because just Taker and Kane coming down and annihilating everyone was a little bit grating when first watching it. But then when you see it as a context of the whole month, it works so well because it then led into the fact of, Austin can't beat these guys. These guys are like killers. They they will go through everyone and anyone and you will not stop them. And then then when Vince drops off that bombshell of you can't pin Kane, Kane can't pin Taker, you have to pin Austin, you can't beat each other. Is just like, yeah, so it's setting the monsters sort of and targeting them so well and it's just like this was was great the thing also i liked about it is it wasn't just about those four you haven't had it's, it hasn't just been kane taker austin and vince but there's been a supporting cast around this as well with shamrock mankind and rock where you know rocks got was one of the random victims in that first week. But he's then played that into the fact of he tried to get his revenge. He wants at it. He is now, with the reactions that the crowd are giving him, 
he's big enough to be there or thereabouts in the main title picture. You've got Shamrock, who obviously King of the Ring winner, needs a sort of a push for that. Called out Austin on an episode of Heat, wants his title match, doesn't get it because it gets destroyed by Taker and Kane, wants at them. Foley, obviously, we know, is still got, you know, the hangouts from earlier in the year when Taker lobbed him off that hell in a cell. Obviously, Kane smashing his skull at SummerSlam with a, the lump hammer. There is a lot here where, you know, there's history between everyone in this. And these these additional three as part of this story really help it as well. So, I think the Fed are doing the right thing where coming out of the pay-per-view, you've got more than just the main free triangle. There's, there's a lot more people getting a rub from everything around it than just, Oh, these are our main event guys. That's that story there. These are the mid card guys. That story is there. It's linking everything together. And, when you look at something, say in WCW, where it's there's that clear definition of these are the top guys, they only work with other top guys, these are the rest of you. It's good to see that the Fed are looking at it differently. Was there anything else um, from the Monster TV? Well, you touched on it um, briefly there, but I think The Rock has now been christened by the fans, particularly as the next breakout star. Um, the guys who listened to the show last month uh, will remember that I said that, you know, there was five kind of really faces ready to be anointed as, as, the, as the guy really got Austin at the top, but Mankind, Rock, Triple H and Ken Shamrock all kind of circling, waiting to be the next guy. But I thought that process would take maybe two or three months, but it took two or three weeks for it to become clear that The Rock was the guy that was going to be the next man. And it's weird that there was no real kind of trigger moment that caused it. Cause it was just, it was just like, again, as you said, he got beat up by Kane Undertaker. He comes out for a promo is booed on the way to the ring, calls out Undertaker and Kane as jabronis, monkey, you know, pieces of monkey crap, et cetera, et cetera. Next week, he gets more, even more cheers. And by the pay-per-view, which we'll get onto, he is the most popular man in the building. I don't know if there's ever been a, a, a sense to, you know, this much adoration from the crowd that has been that nothing happened. You know, there's no trigger moment at all. Um, and it's interesting just, again, how quickly momentum is important in this product where it's so hot that as soon as the crowd kind of get wind that this this is a character that we want to get behind, they will get behind it, and it's almost unstoppable. As if It's similar to what happened with Sable kind of in February time when she was all of a sudden became one of the most over characters in the company, despite all she was doing was just waving to the crowd with Mark Merrow. And I, again, I can't remember anything that happened to cause her to be this beloved baby face. And it's the same with the rock as well. Yeah. It's the thing with, as you sort of said with Sable, I think I, I sort of get why that one is, you know, look who the main demographic of the people in the crowd are. It is guys in their late, late teens, early twenties, mid thirties. They like boobs. 
you know, it's it's lowest common denominator. But the rock thing, as you said, literally, he was coming out to a promo to sort of it's the nation boo, and then came out cheered. As we were sort of saying pre-record, maybe it's a case of looking what has changed is what is the the lead part is he's not going against what is the number two baby face in the company, which is DX. You know, it's not him and the nation versus DX anymore. It's not him versus Triple H anymore. Because obviously no not no one person in DX is the number two babyface, but them as a group are. But I think if you're looking at individual stars on that face side, you've got to say Rock may now be the number two behind Austin. So we shall go into the pay-per-view. Dan, if you could frequent us with the results. I shall indeed. Owen Hart defeated Edge. Al Snow and Two Cold Scorpio defeated the team of Brian Christopher and Scott Taylor, a.k.a. Too Much. Mark Merrow defeated Droz. Bradshaw defeated Vader in a Falls Count Anywhere match. D'Lo Brown defeated Gangrel. The Rock defeated Ken Shamrock and Mankind in a steel cage match to determine the number one contender for the WWF title. Val Venus, accompanied by Terry Reynolds, defeated Dustin Reynolds. The team of Billy Gunn, Road Dogg and X-Park, representing DX, defeated Jeff Jarrett and Southern Justice. And Kane and Undertaker defeated Stone Cold Steve Austin for the WWF title in a triple threat match, even though we don't know who the title will actually be around the waist of. So before we break down all the matches, yeah. see what I did there? <laughs> um, what was your overall thoughts on this sort of going in? Obviously, looking at the card and everything, and sort of knowing what we had. Obviously, there's a yeah. lot of cut. There are a lot of matches on here that are have zero to no build. But we'll be looking forward to it. It's one of those things where, if if I'm comparing this to boxing, you don't buy a boxing card normally for the whole card. You buy it for the main event, and the main event bill for this has been so intriguing, and Steve Austin is so over that I don't think people cared. They just want to buy it for Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Kane and the Undertaker and a bit and pieces here and there. And obviously it depends on your mileage of random wrestling matches and how much you enjoyed this show because the first hour of this show is a house show, effectively, um, because none of it has been had any build. Effectively. So... It depends on what you want in a show. If you like wrestling, just watching, go and see two men in a ring, you know, having a match. I think you will enjoy this show. If you're more into your storylines, if you're more into build and wrestling is secondary, you're more into the, the, like the actual booking of it. I don't think this is the show for you because there's no great match on this show and there's very little bit and there's only what? Three matches, maybe four push, which have any kind of storyline to it. One has a big storyline, which we'll come to the end of the show and discuss. But ultimately, this is not a big storyline show. Yeah, it is that that thing of obviously, we all know I watch lots and lots of the ECW stuff. So we get a lot of the shows that are 
two, three matches of any sort of real, oh, we've built these, and then you get four or five matches of good guy A versus bad guy B. You know, put them together and have at it. This is what this pay-per-view as a whole sort of seemed to be like. It was, as you said, Dan, sort of very much house show. I I could quite imagine they turned up in the building in the morning other than the main four matches going, well, who am I working tonight? And quite easily found out that it was a case of, well, you versus you. And I'm not sure, even with how great the Fed are doing, that if they're trying to push this thing that everyone has a storyline, everyone has has a purpose, this seems a bit of a throw it against the wall. But we will start with our opening contest of the evening, which is Owen Hart going against Edge. Opening the match with some really, really good classic chain wrestling. Owen manages to land an arm bar into some corner elbows and a monkey flip, but Edge lands on his feet and hits a big drop kick, then hits a drop toe hold and a hurricane runner. It's a clothesline to the outside, and Edge does a baseball slide. Owen then turns a dive into a power slam onto the floor. Back into the ring, Owen hits a top rope drop kick and gets a two count, a gut wrench slam and gets a two count, a backbreaker and a neckbreaker for a two count, a belly to belly for a two, and then puts on a rather long headlock. Owen then goes for the victory roll and gets a two count. Edge reverses that for a two of his own. Owen then hits a back kick for a two. Edge hits a rebound crossbody and gets a two count. Owen hits the Inseguri and both men are down. Edge is first to his feet and gets an electric chair drop, a flapjack and a really nice swinging neck breaker for a two, a DDT for a two and a Northern Light Suplex for a two. Owen hits a German suplex with bridge for a two. Owen misses a corner splash. Edge then tries to capsulize with a superplex, but that's reversed by Owen. And then he tries to go for a sharpshooter, but Edge manages to turn it into a roll-up and gets two. Edge hits a heel kick. Edge is then distracted by a mystery guy coming out from the crowd. Owen with a quick roll-up for the win. As an opener, I really like this. Um, you know, as we said, it seems to be one of these shows where they just sort of put random guy against random guy, and these two worked really quite well. Um, quite interested to see who this mystery guy is and what his purpose is going forward. You know, it looks as though they are interested in Edge going as a guy and wanting a story with him. Um, but I'm not really sure what they're doing with Owen. What do you think, Dan? Yeah, I, I think this was, again, one of the best opening matches that the company have put on in two years. You know, I, I remember back when I think it was the first in your house they did in Canada and they didn't have a single Canadian wrestler on the show. And now it, that just seems absolutely stupid to me. This is like the complete opposite thinking. That's put our best two Canadian workers in the match together and put them at the start of the show and give them 10 minutes 
That's absolutely simple, correct, opening match booking. And these two guys delivered. It was, you know, makes perfect sense. Yeah, and, and we, we complained at the start of the uh, review that this was a first hour house show, but given credit, they are trying to give a little bit of an injection of storyline into into Edge's character at least. He's debuted, but hasn't really done much in the two months he's been around. He's had a bit of a mini feud with Gangrel, and now this extra guy's coming in and adding a bit more intrigue to it, which is good. You know, it's I like being, you know, tune in next time on Raw to find out more about who this guy is, and that's good. You know, and it's it helps that Edge is a good wrestler. Um, there's mm. some of the stuff he pulls out here is is you know you can keep up with Owen, which is you know a compliment for any new wrestler coming into a company and. And as you said, yeah, Owen is a, feels like he's lost a little bit now that the nation's dissolved and he clearly is not part of the upper card thinking anymore with, you know, the, the Shamrock Mankind and Rock Triple Threat clearly having no part of him. He's not involved in the, even the Euro con- European Championship scene in the minute. So it's a shame that the guy who is that damn talented at the ring still is floating around so much, but... You know, if this company is having the ethos in a minute of every wrestler on the card will have a storyline, then I definitely think Owen will have one that's going for because he's, he's too good of a wrestler not to have one. Um, but yeah, as a, as a match, I thought this was an excellent way to start the show. I thought it was really, really good. See, I, I look at Owen and think he's a, too good to be wasted with a, either a silly gimmick or a pointless feud. And I sort of think, would it be worth him, you know, leaving and maybe going to pastures new? You know, for greedy's sake, just on my part, I would love to see him turn up in ECW. <laughs> I just think him and RVD, him and Jerry Lynn, him and Just Incredible, the the matches we could get out of that. And, you know, we know there's a work still a bit of a working relationship between the Fed and ECW. Just even for like a six month sort of sabbatical type thing. There's <laughs> no way that ECW is a sabbatical. Ow, well, the concrete floor and the chairs and the tables. Like, oh, great, really nice, relaxing vacation, vacation there. Uh, well, more of the case of, you know, off the Fed TV and distance makes heart grow fonder and bring him back when you've got actually something for him of some of a guy of that level of talent instead of just being wasted in nothing opening matches good don't get me wrong this is a really good match but still a fairly pointless match whereas as i said you know in an ideal world him and rvd as a main event on an ecw pay-per-view would be amazing yep can't can't disagree with that i just i I just think it's uh, a long shot but stranger things have happened as i said we have seen some weird and wonderful people turn up in ecw so you know it could. Yeah. So our next contest sees Al Snow and Scorpio going against Too Much. Taylor and Too Cold start. There's an exchange of arm bars and Too Cold hits an atomic drop and a spin kick. Taylor then reverses a backdrop into a pump handle suplex and tags both round. Al comes in with a shoulder block, but Brian hits a headbutt. Al then hits the captured headbutts, a clothesline, and tag to Taylor. Al hits a massive backdrop and tags in Too Cold, who hits corner clotheslines. 
Al then hits a chair-assisted leg drop, a la Sabu. Too Cold then does one, but barely hits a drop kick onto Brian's ass that then pushes him into Taylor, who then falls down and headbutts Brian in the balls. Al then misses the chair shot outside as he and Brian brawl. Too Cold hits a splash for a two count. As Brian tries his own chair-assisted jump, he crashes and burns on the barrier. Al hits a moonsault from the barrier onto Brian on the outside. In the ring, there's a clothesline by Taylor as Too Cold was about to go for a moonsault. Brian then grabs his leg, which crotches him. Brian hits a suplex on the floor. Taylor then hits a springboard axe handle. Back into the ring and they hit a double backdrop. Brian hits a bulldog. And then Taylor hits another double backdrop. They go for a second, but Too Cold reverses it and hits drop kicks on both of them. Tag to Al, who comes in and hits everyone with head, including Too Cold, by accident. Brian then hits the Tennessee Jam for a two. Too Cold hits a diving chop for a two. Al then hits the snowplow on Christopher for the free. This was an entertaining match. Again, you know, it is no build house show fodder. I think too much have a lot of upside. They look really good as a young tag team. And, you know, I have a soft spot in my heart for two golden Al Snow from their ECW slash WCW history. So, you know, it was entertaining, it served a purpose, but it's not really pay-per-view quality. Dan? Mr. ECW, I have a question for you. Yes? Was Scorpio always this rubbish? Ooh. He he was much better than this when he has free reign and can do all the fun stuff that he likes. He is He is a little bit, you know, lost his way a bit with the Fed, but... I wouldn't say this was rubbish from two goals. Oh, I thought he was very botchy, very sloppy in this match. Um, and yeah, I, I can. I was not impressed with him. Let's put it that way. In a, I know I'm sure you're better than this, but you're not showing it to me. And nothing I've seen on TV has has shown me that he was as good as uh, you and the other ECW guys said. What he was in '96, '97 time. Um, this felt to me like an ECW match that was laid out by Snow and Scorpio in a WWF ring. And some of the things they tried was good. You know, I, I enjoyed Snow's um, leap off the chair, it, you know, kick in the corner, the, the moonsault off the barricade. Um, but yeah, Scorpio pulling Taylor up off the ring really infuriates me. The whole, you know, legal man syndrome was a real problem in this match because Jack Doan clearly knew that Al Snow was pinning an, uh, was not the legal man or was, or was getting pinned by a not legal man. He was desperately trying to point this out to them, but ultimately can't do much because he's obviously getting in the way of their planned finish. So that did feel a bit silly to me. Um, and that took me out of the finish quite a lot because I was just like, oh, this, this is just broken down into anarchy. And this is an ECW where that's encouraged. Um Al Snow was easily the best part of this match, and I I have a guilty pleasure for Brian Christopher. I'm afraid I think his heel heat is actually real, and it's good in a 
in a, you know, I want to see him get beat up way, not in a get off my screen sort of way. Um, so yeah, I, I, I was disappointed by this match, but I think that's me going into it with too much of a high standard after the recommendations of your good self and your and your ECW friends. I will say, if you want to see Scorpio at his best, there is a match between him and Benoit from '96, which may be one of the the best wrestling matches in recent history. You know, I, I feel that the Flash Funk has really dampened him and it's taken it out of him because even when he did come back recently to the Land of Extreme, he did suffer a little bit and wasn't that same the same guy he was before. Damn That's you, Vince! <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll I'll try and find that match then because um yeah, this was a bit of a letdown for me, I'm afraid. So. We follow this with Kane and Taker's promo saying it's no one's business. Who knows who will get the pin tonight? But they will see the annihilation of Stone Cold. We then have a match between Mark Mero and Droz. Mark, with the early advantage with some punches, Droz hits a clothesline and a dropkick, and they brawl to the outside. Mark gets launched into the stairs, and then they go back into the ring. Mark manages to hit a knee lift and rope choke. Droz hits a jumping shoulder block and a clothesline. Mark hits a backdrop to the outside. And then, impressively enough from him, hits a rolling tope. Back into the ring, he misses the flip over the top rope. Droz with some punches, back elbow, an atomic drop and power slam for a two. Thanks to Jackie putting his foot on the rope, breaking the count. Mark then hits some elbows, clothesline, and chokes with his tape. Jackie goes off the top rope as Mark is gas-bagging with the referee. Mark then hits the shooting star press for the win. All I can say was at least it was short. It was nothing more than a TV match at best, and I don't get what happened to Johnny B. Bad. Speak, yeah. Speaking of guys who are past the best, this was sloppy uh, from from Mero. The stuff he tried to do that was impressive, like the tope and the shooting star press, looked unsafe. Um, and I would always urge on the side of safety first, rather than trying to do something that you're not quite capable of doing 100% every time. Um, this was easy. One of the matches I could have culled and given some extra time to maybe Owen and Edge or some of the more bigger matches down the cards. This was just fodder, really. I mean, Draws has a good drop kick, but for a guy his size has doesn't carry himself like a big man. Um, and yeah, Mero's cooked as a wrestler. Um, from when he was Johnny B. Bad, and really now as an act after feuding and losing to Sable all the time. So, just I would have called this and given it more time to some of the other matches, if I'm honest. See, as I say, I, I, so I don't watch as much of the WF as obviously I do with ECW and my history with WCW stuff. But obviously, when he was Johnny B. Bad, in WCW in the early 90s. He was one of the, the top-end guys. Obviously, never going to be world title, but, you know, top-end babyface. Uh, 
he then came over as the wild man. And I remember, you know, him being the cat guy and, you know, ooh, he's, he's all jumping and stuff. Why did they then put him into this boxer gimmick, which seems to have just taken anything fun away from him and also oh. seems to have taken away any of his ability? <laughs> well, he used to be a boxer. I mean, he used to he won a Golden Gloves tournament when he was before he got into wrestling. So I imagine it's more of a, OK, this wild man thing is a bit silly. Let's give you something a bit more realistic. But. I don't know what's going on with that. That doesn't that doesn't excuse his ability. I mean, this was a guy who he's not like, again. It's not like he's in WCW where he's being shown up by the cruiserweights or Benoit or Finley or Regal or anything like that. He's in WWF where, on paper, he's probably one of the most experienced workers they've got, and he's gone down so badly. I don't know whether it's because Sable has basically stolen all of his heat. And he's, she's getting the push that maybe he expected, but and his motivation is now gone. Or I, I think he may have bulked up a little bit too much. He's put a lot of muscle mass on his upper body, and he's and he's sort of slowed down. But yeah, it's just he's just like look back at that Brian Pillman match he had in '95, and then look at this, and it's night and day. But let's let's go to another guy that has uh, become a disappointment in the Fed. Speaking of guys who are past their prime, we have a Fool's Count Anywhere match between Bradshaw and Vader. Bradshaw opens a match aggressively with lots of clubs and a big clothesline, hits a side elbow and gets a two count. Vader hits a body splash and some elbows to the knees, and then a normal splash gets a two. Bradshaw hits a big boot, clothesline to the outside. He then posts Vader. And then hits him with the ring bell. They brawl into the tables, the announce tables, and more clubbing shots. This gets a two count. Bradshaw then punches the post accidentally as Vader ducks. Vader hits some clubbing blows and then lobs him Bradshaw into the stairs. And then tries to hit him with the stairs. Back into the ring, Bradshaw hits some massive punches hits a back suplex and a back elbow. They're then back to the outside where Vader hits more punches and a low blow and gets a two count on the outside. A lariat and back into the ring where Vader hits a second rope splash, then goes up and hits the Vader bomb and gets a two count. Bradshaw hits a clothesline from hell, which only gets a two. He then hits a second clothesline from hell and a neck breaker and gets the win. I'm all for big lads brawling, and to be fair, at least this is Vader being Vader. He can lump people about. But it just seems a bit pointless. But at least it was better than anything in the brawl for all. <laughs> I was going to say, do you reckon that is Bradshaw just was really stiff in this match because he was pissed off he actually lost the brawl for all and needed some venting? I suppose Vader is one of those guys that will quite happily take the hiding, though. True. So, so maybe it may have just got to that point of you know this is what happens when Bradshaw doesn't get his way in in real fighting on a fake fighting show. I was uh, look horse matches aren't really my thing normally, 
Um, so this match actually exceeded my expectations and I was entertained for quite the majority of it. Um, and if this match had come after Vader lost to Kane over the edge, I think this could have done a really good boost for Bradshaw's push mm. because he out-stiffed, he out-nastied, he out-horsed the biggest bully in wrestling in the 90s. In that this was a really good showing from Bradshaw. I was really impressed with him. But Vader has just been so like for shite for the last two months that this mat, this win doesn't mean anything. He's lost to Mark Henry in an absolutely awful match. He's been knocked clean out by Bart Gunn. Vader being pinned and kicking out of your Vader bomb doesn't mean anything anymore. Um, and I was hoping that because I, I I unfortunately missed Vader doing his peak, so I've never really seen the the actual stiff you know behemoth that took on Stan Hansen in all those matches. So when I was hoping that when Bradshaw was giving him these stiff shots that that man would come out. And he did a little bit, but not he never really took me in the way Bradshaw was. You know, he, he picks up those big steps and you're thinking, okay, hammer him. And it gives Bradshaw this little dink. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a little love tap, really. It's not... Yeah, a love tap, exactly. And it's just like, oh, come on, Vader. You know... From what I've been told, six years ago, you would have thrown Bradshaw in with all the force of nature and he would have busted him up. And I don't know whether he's just being too safe or he's clocked out and just wants the paycheck, but whenever he got an offense, he looked weak, too safe, and not nasty enough for what this match demanded compared to what Bradshaw gave. Um, so, yeah, I feel Bradshaw just here almost... Be, almost became Brad W's new answer to Vader, really, just by default, because Vader was just, has just been so out of form in the last four months. Um, but as as a match, I actually was I actually was quite engrossed in it because it's just Bradshaw was just so much stiffer than Vader. Um, so yeah, I'll give it a tentative thumbs up. Actually, thinking about it, but disappointed with Vader as well. I will say um, easier to get is the Vader and Cactus Jack stuff from WCW in the sort of 92, 93 time when they absolutely battered the shit out of each other. If you Vader just fucking battering people, but if you can get it, I have seen it because of, you know, my friends that have access to Japanese tapes, but Hanson and Vader from Japan to the point where Vader's eye falls out of his head is is a sight to behold and then cheers, cheers for that the thing was two months two months later they then teamed up to beat people up can you imagine how much <laughs> of a pain killing that is i've been double booked tonight i'm afraid um i'm afraid that you're gonna have to find someone else for that one <laughs> it's all right i, I will uh, make sure you don't have to watch that then <laughs> Okay. Keep away from the Japanese tapes. <laughs> so, we follow that with Dudo Brown going against Gangrel. Gangrel opens the match with a spinning elbow and some chops. D'Lo manages to get some punches, only until Gangrel hits a clutch suplex and a spinning elbows for a two count. D'Lo hits a heel kick, some choke and punches. Slam, but misses a second rope elbow. 
D'Lo hits a low blow and a big whip into a running powerbomb for a two. A leg drop for a two, but misses a splash. Gangrel hits some kicks. D'Lo gets a suplex and gets a two. They exchange punches until Gangrel hits a clothesline. D'Lo hits a low elbow. Gangrel blocks a superplex attempt and punches D'Lo off the ring. Hits a clothesline. And then D'Lo hits a twisting back suplex, which gets a two count. Gangrel hits a stun gun and a backdrop. And then a top rope splash for a two. This brings out Mark Henry, who grabs the rope as Gangrel runs and falls down. D'Lo hits the lowdown and gets the win. Post-match, Gangrel spits his big old cup of blood straight into Henry's face as he then beats down D'Lo. This was okay. It was short. Again, it was another one of those matches that was very much TV, house show fodder, not really sort of pay-per-view quality. But I suppose, you know, everyone getting a bit of time on TV isn't bad. It was one of those matches where nothing really happens and it's nothing really to write home about. Dan? Yeah, this was the other match I would have called for more time to more matches that matter. Gangrel is a guy I have no interest in if I'm being honest with myself, uh, he looks rough in the ring, not in a good way. The crowd was dead whenever he got an offense. And whenever he does his pre-match ritual, spitting the, quote, red viscous liquid, because I can't, you can't mention the word blood on TV, apparently, uh, all the crowd are mouthing off and giving him the finger because they just got spat on. So I don't know if that's going to get him over as a crowd, you know, favorite if, um, Everyone's afraid that they're going to have to get a you new know, change of clothes whenever they go to wrestling ring. However, I am all aboard the Lila Brown hype train. Um, I think this guy is a bona fide contender to be up a mid card star come next year. I think he's got everything. He's got charisma. He's he's big. He can move. He's agile. He's got the mouthing off down. The crowd were really into his stick. He's got cool moves. I just think he's great. And as was a bit of a so- showcase match of him. I don't think Gangrel got a lot of offense in at all, really. Um, so that, that, that was, that's good, I guess. But he's lost his European title, which is a shame. I don't know why this couldn't have been um, Dealer versus X Park, if I'm honest with you. But yeah, it is what it is. I was happy to see Dilo, not happy to see Gangrel. Yeah, I would say, you know, the one thing Gangrel does have going for him is his entrance music is banging. But True. Yeah. True. As you said, the guys in that front row were pissed off that they got, you know, covered in his spit. <laughs> so we now have a triple threat cage match for the number one contenders for the World Wrestling Federation title, which sees The Rock going against Ken Shamrock and Mankind. Rock and Shamrock go at it straight away. This leads to Foley trying to leave out the door. Rock notices this and stops him. They then all exchange blows. Mankind hits a big knee, but eats a rock clothesline. 
Shamrock then hits some knees and kicks to The Rock and Mankind. Shamrock puts on the abdominal stretch onto Mankind, only for The Rock to then come and put the same move on Shamrock, and we have a freeway abdo stretch. They manage to hip-turse each other off, then all three brawl. Mankind tries to climb the cage, but Rock stops him, and Shamrock beats down both and tries to go to the door, only for Rock to get and stop him. They then double-team Shamrock with a double choke and some smashes into the cage. A gut-punch knee-lift combo, but Rock quickly takes out Mankind following it. Rock then starts to climb, only for Ken to get there and stop him. Now we see Ken and Rock double-team Foley. They hit a double clothesline, and Ken puts on the ankle lock, only for Rock to break it up and corner smash Ken. Foley and Ken then decide to double-team on the Rock, till Ken jumps Mike, jumps Mick. A double backdrop on the Rock. Mick then hits an elbow drop, and Ken and Foley do a double suplex. They then try to do the knee lift, but it's blocked. Ken punches the Rock. Rock then hits the DDT on Mick and a float over DDT on Shamrock, and hits the double people's elbow, which gets a massive pop from the crowd. He then starts to climb. He's then stopped. Rock is then crotched on the ropes. Rock hits a low blow to Shamrock and the rock bottom on Mick, which gets a two count. Ken hits a back elbow on the rock. The rock back on top with some punches. Ken hits a belly to belly and ankle lock on Foley. He then climbs the cage, only for Rock to grab his foot. They then brawl on top of the cage. Ken tries to get involved in this, but is kicked down. Then Mick throws down the rock. He's on top of the cage and does a top right or top of cage elbow, but misses. Ken tries to go for the door again, only to be stopped by Mick. Ken grabs a chair, but misses Mick. He hits a double arm DDT onto the chair and a massive chair shot to the rock. He then tries to start to climb. Ken being down, the rock pins him whilst Foley is mid-climb. Rock wins. This was amazing. I mean, this is probably <laughs> the best use of a freeway dance I think I've seen. Obviously, we see a lot of them in ECW where the usual rule is one guy gets taken out, the others two fight, then one of them gets taken out, the others two fight. The fact they had the cage around them meant that they couldn't do the usual sort of flow to this match where, you know, one guy's out of the way for a bit while the other two's go at it. This was just awesome. Um, easily one of the best matches of the year. The psychology in it was great. The fact that Rock pinned Shamrock as Foley was climbing because, you know, that's the sensible thing to do. It's all for it all. How over the Rock is, sort of just the crowd reaction when he hits that double rock, uh, double people's elbow is just immense. I can't see anything bad in this match. And I'm hoping you feel the same, Dan. You'll be right. 
I wouldn't go as far as saying it's one of the best matches of the year, but it was definitely a hell of a lot of fun. It was so entertaining, and that kind of encapsulates The Rock as a as a wrestler, the most entertaining wrestler currently active in North America. Fight me, um, because the building is literally shaking when they're trying to get behind him. The crowd is literally shaking when. He he body slams mankind, and they realize that this is going to be a double people's elbow. Like, how has he managed to get that over? It's a hot dog elbow, and it's now the most over move in the company. <laughs> and I know Canada isn't the most reliable crowd in the world to judge a wrestler's popularity, you know, compared to I don't know, say, the mid south or anything like that. But this was the star making match for me that the Rock's now on the never level. Like he had a better match last month, but this was the moment I think that the company knew definitely this guy is next in line. Even the announcers, I think, were a little surprised that he comes out, his music hits, the pop is enormous, and even Giasco, bloody hell, what an ovation. Mm. Um so yeah, I just thought he was, you know, electrifying in this match. Fantastic. Um Mankind as well was just a, a joy. Uh, for the majority of this match, um, you know, just being really hilarious with trying to body up, um, doing the funky chicken and all that good stuff. He is a hoot. I felt sorry for Ken Shamrock because he was just playing straight this UFC guy and everyone's just like, please go away. We don't want any of your business here, Ken. Um, There is one bad thing, I will admit, and that is Mix jump off the cage. I don't mind doing this if he hadn't done anything for maybe a few months, but he has taken two 15 foot high unprotected bumps in the last three months and has not had a break since, you know, a nice long break to have a rest up, maybe one or two weeks rest here and there, but that's not long enough. And I know Mick is, that's what he does that he is a spot monkey. Okay. You know, a glorified start man that's been in front of him before, that's not true, but you know he is the guy that takes the big bumps, and to me, this was unnecessary, and it did make me wince in a bad way. Not in a oh my god, I can't believe he did that. In a Mick, why are you doing this? You've already done one, two huge spots this year. You don't need to do a third. So that was the only negative for me in this match, though. For the rest of it, was a hell of a lot of fun. The Rock's a superstar now. This match showed it, and it was, yeah, lots and lots of fun. See, I I didn't think of it in that way with Foley's cage dive. Just Obviously, we saw it last year at SummerSlam when he was in that match against Hunter, where he did the big sort of elbow off the top of the cage, obviously homage to Superfly Snooker. When when you put it in the pantheon of what he's gone through so far this year, you you probably are right that you know it's it's not big or clever and you know you don't need to put your body through that sort of level of of yeah. trauma on that level of regular basis. And it's not like he is doing it to move up a level because he clearly is really well positioned with the company right now. Yes, The Rock has taken that step, but still he is in that discussion. You know, he's no, he's nowhere, he's not being in 
in losing you know his faith with the company this is he's done it he doesn't need to do this whereas last year you know he's in an opening match you know on SummerSlam, so he has to do something to get the crowd remembering what he did he's not on the same level as he was last year he's in a better position mm. so it makes so you know it, that just felt to me like either someone backstage went to him you know mick yeah uh, you know what the crowd really wants to see here don't you or mick himself thinking that way and just doing it and doing it for the love of the fans which is admirable as hell but stupid at the same time because it doesn't need to happen we already love you mick you don't yeah. need to do this it's one of those of save your bumps. You don't need to do them every show. So our next match is one of the very few that actually had a build going into this show, which sees Val Venus going against Dustin Reynolds. Obviously, Val comes out with his usual Hello Ladies stick and points back to bring out Terry, who literally is wearing a pair of pants and the tiniest little nighty. Clearly, we know what the innuization <laughs> is there, is uh, what they were up to a little while ago. 90 sounds so quaint. <laughs> <laughs> so, Val opens the match with a spine buster and some punches. Dustin hits a face drop, a power bomb, and punches of his own. They go to the outside. Val hits a clothesline, some boots, and go back into the ring. Dustin hits a backdrop. Val with kicks and chops and some running knees into a side Russian leg sweep. Grinding punches and then puts on a camel clutch. Dustin gets some punches, but quick Val is quickly back in charge with a slam to the outside and slam onto the announcer's table. Back into the ring, Dustin hits a suplex but misses the follow-up elbow drop. Val gets a two count. Headlock and Dustin manages to fight his way out, only for Val to hit a clothesline for a two. Dustin hits a DDT and gets a two count. Dustin then goes on top, but Val cuts him off with a front suplex. Back into the ring, Dustin then throws Val to the outside. Terry gets touchy. Back into the ring, a quick roll-up for a two. <laughs> Dustin hits a bulldog for a two. Val then hits a power slam, some elbows, and the money shot, and gets the win. It was all right. It the my my issue with this is for how much of a real life heated match this should have been. There was far too much wrestling holds in it. This should have been an all-out brawl, the same as Vader and Bradshaw. Val Venus has been slamming your wife, filming it, and showing you the videos. I know, I'm going to go for a bulldog and a headlock. <laughs> Sometimes wrestling has great stories, but they just don't know what to do with it in a match, and this was that. Damn. I didn't even thought of that point. That makes perfect sense. And I already had a 10-point list of things I hated about this whole angle. Um, right. Valvinus is a face, right? Yes. In this match. How, why have we gone wrong in society if this guy's a face? 
he's right. You said it yourself. He is banging someone's wife, filming it, showing it to the world. How is this guy? A, how is this a good guy? This is literally one of the worst human beings in the wrestling industry. I feel we're going to look back on the 90s as a whole and go, what were we thinking? But it seems to be the zeitgeist that bad guys are good. Look, we've got the president of the US getting noshed off in the Oval Office and, you know, that seems to be fine. He doesn't He doesn't um, snap Al Gore's wife and then, you know, you know, have her in bed and then show it to the world, though, does he? It's, it's the whole point of Val Venus here is an absolutely re reprehensible human being in a just a personal level. The fact that look, DX are dicks, but they're in a dicks in a wrestling context. They're not doing anything that is outside wrestling. Val Venus is relatable because what kind of man can't sympathize with Dustin Reynolds here? Because how would you like it if a woman that you are married to suddenly is displayed performing sexual acts with this? you know, grinding, misogynistic asshole. This, this well, should, Dustin Reynolds should be the biggest baby face in the company, but the fact is, but because he's been a bit, a bit of a prude and is saying that this product is not for the best intentions of family viewing, he is the bad guy. It's the thing, when you think about it, so, so far we've had, Val Venus has done the wife of Mr. Yamaguchi and Dustin's wife. So basically, you know, him being a porn star and plowing porn stars and, you know, single ladies, well done. Good guy. You know, you're living the dream. But the, as you say, how, how would anyone sort of think, oh, my, my wife, the mother of my children, is openly having sex with this guy that quite happily puts it around films it and yet as you say he's the baby face <laughs> look if look i can understand this line of thinking if he was doing it to someone the wife of someone who is evil you know but he's not you know dustin reynolds the punishment doesn't fit the crime here if dustin reynolds had been you know you know, one like a proper Friday the Thirteenth style supervillain, then it would make a little bit more sense. But he isn't. He's just being approved. That's all he is. And I guess that's that makes him the ultra heel in in raunchy WWF programming side. But ultimately, I wish his penis had been chopped off that one time now because he is an absolute grade A dick, pun intended. You know, I've I don't know where where we are sitting in society obviously you know over here we, we're not so much into jerry springer and this sort of car crashy type thing here in the uk but clearly obviously it's massive in the states is this just like the norm out there that it's it's great to promote slamming other people's wives and you know cheating and the cheats the one in the right yeah, how how dare this prude, you know, make this woman go, you know, unnoticed. See, if this was done, if this was done last year, when he, you know, Marlena is kicked to the curb by gold dust, then it but makes sense. But he's Maryland dust. Yeah, that that's air. But he's going through that full. Yeah. Yeah, 
But it isn't. But... This is a year later. And as much as I'm all for long-term storytelling, there's been no foreshadowing of this. There's been no, you know, cues to the audience that, oh, yeah, his wife is, is a little bit upset. So she might do something that he will regret. There's been no cues to the audience at all to expect something like this. So it just comes out the blue. And again, wrestling fans have to have short-term memories to, to get by sometimes. So we're just thinking Dustin Reynolds is the preacher. He isn't, he probably, you know, I think we all know he is gold dust, but we don't remember all the way back to there. So it just doesn't make sense to do this with, with a guy who's, pun you know, his punishment doesn't fit the crime. As I said before, you know, this doesn't make, this make, this makes me want to really root for Dustin Reynolds. And you look, look at the match itself, the actual breakdown of the whole storyline. You've got JR saying all the time going, oh, he clearly is off his game tonight. He's distracted. He's, he's looking to his wife all the time. He's not in this match. But no one told the crowd that because they were dead. In, unless Valvinus went out there and started groping Terry. Again, the take it off chance. Fuck you, Canada. <laughs> <laughs> Though, let's look at the match and not so much the story at the moment for this next but Am I wrong in thinking that if you're having the story that we've had going into it, Dustin should have been full fire, brimstone, go at it, wanting to kill this guy? Does it not take away from, however much we are despising it, takes away from what they have built by just having a generic wrestling match yeah i agreed it was it was a very badly wrestled match in the first place and the storyline dictated it being something different and i totally agree with that unless they they probably are going to do a, a, a final chapter either next month or a survivor series where it is gold dust you know gold dust comes back and is the one that you know marlena comes back and they reunite and but that would mean turning Val heel, surely. Um, so, but yeah, I, I, I absolutely hated the angle and I didn't like the match. And now that you've raised that point, I hated it even more. So, yeah. I've done my job. <laughs> so, our next match is the six-man tag match, seeing Team DX, Billy Gunroad Dog and X-Buck, going against Double J, Jeff Jarrett, and Sub Injustice, Mark Canterbury, and Dennis Knight. We open the match with X-Puck in the aisle, but there's no sign of the Outlaws. They jump Sub Injustice and JR. X-Puck rushes the ring, and all the heels leave. We then see X-Puck and Double J go at it to start. Jeff hits and punches a drop kick. X-Puck reverses a Hurricane Runner into a powerbomb and gets two count. Attacks a Road Dog who comes in with punches, but Jeff hits a knee and some boots. Road Dog hits an atomic drop and an arse drop and knee drop combination for a two. Canterbury grabs Dog while attacked to Dennis Knight. Some double punches by both of Southern Justice and then a slam and an elbow drop for a two. Dog managed to hit shake and rattle, but Mark hits a clothesline before he could hit roll. Attack to Double J, who comes in with a DDT. They then bounce around in the corner for a bit, and there's a clash of heads 
which sees both men go down. Dog manages to tag X-Puck in, who comes in with a spinning back kick, some chops, and then attempts a back kick, but Mark manages to counter that by picking him up and slamming him. Knight comes in with a choke and a headbutt, and a stalling suplex that gets a two. Tags to Jeff, who hits a power slam for a two. Mark in hits a big splash and gets a two. And then Dennis is in with some knees and a tag to Double J. You'll notice that Team Southern Justice are not actually doing proper tags, but the refs backs turn and clapping each other's hands anyway. One of punches, X-Puck misses a Bronco Buster attempt. In comes Mark, who hits a spinning face drop for a two count. Dennis then in with some knees and punches. Jeff in puts on a long sleeper and gets two arm drops, but Pac manages to fight his way out and puts on a sleeper of his own. Back suplex and gets the tag to Billy. Billy in and is on fire, punching all three members of Team Southern Justice. A press slam to Jeff, but is then backdropped to the floor by Mark. X-Puck is then in and hits the Bronco Buster on Double J. He then tries to go for an X-Factor on Mark, but that's blocked. Road Dog and Knight and Gun and Mark are brawling to the outside. Jeff grabs the guitar, but is stopped by Billy Gun. Mark in the ring backdrops X-Puck to the floor. Sub and Justice and double team Billy Gun. Double J hits X-Puck with a guitar to the outside. Billy Gunn hits the Fame Master tonight and gets the win. This was messy, not fun, and seems a waste of DX. Um, uh, to be fair, it's Jeff Jarrett, who I'm not a fan of, and it's the Godwins, who still have bad new generation tag team stank still all over them. Uh, yeah, I, I get the feeling this was meant to... If they were sketching the card out before... Um, after SummerSlam finished, I get the feeling this would have been Jarrett versus Triple H for the Intercontinental Belt, Southern Justice versus New Age Outlaws, and X-Park versus D-Lo, whoever it was. And so with Triple H a bit crocked at the minute, they had to fill this together. Um, and it's felt elongated because we've already good done X-Park and Jarrett. I, I never want to see Dennis Knight in the ring ever again. And I'm look, New Age Outlaws are over as characters, but they're not great as a tag team in the ring. Um, Billy Gunn's a good hot tag, but apart from that, I don't see it really. So, yes, was a bit eh, this was a bit kind of just throw away six man tags sort of stuff. Um, yeah, I, I, I would be happy if I never ever saw some of these guys wrestle in a tag match ever again. Most of them on the Tennessee side of things. Yeah, it is one of those of it seemed that it was a case of let's just chuck shit together for the sake of chucking shit together and getting bodies on the pay-per-view. And I suppose DX getting the big win does, you know, send the crowd home with their happy moment of, look, DX won. I get the sense as well, as I said, that X Park's Euro to be in champion. New Age Outlaws are tag champion. Triple H is now Intercontinental champion. So I think this was just a really badly timed injury to Triple H, really, just because this the show is called Breakdown. This is meant to be DX's show in a way and spread it all out the car, but an injury just completely cut that off. 
Um, and we ended up with that. And again, a, a thrown together six man, which is something that we can get on Raw. Um, so, yeah. So we are now at that time for the main event of the evening, which is a triple threat match for the World Heavyweight title, seeing Kane and The Undertaker going against Stone Cold Steve Austin. Kane enters first, and as Taker is making his way to the ring, Austin jumps him with a chair and beats him down, and then as Kane comes to try and save Taker, he beats down Kane too. They brawl on their way to the ring, Austin punching Kane, and he hits some back elbows into the ring and hits a slam. But he goes up top and misses a dive. Austin then puts in the boots and hits the hip attack. Kane manages to throw Austin to the outside as Taker has made his way to the ring. Taker hits punches. Austin then puts Taker into the steps. Hits a stun gun on Austin and then crotches him on the post. Back into the ring, he hits a stunner but only gets a two count as Taker pulls him to the outside. He then gets posted and back into the ring. Taker hits some punches and chokes. Austin manages to get some punches against Taker and hits a jumping clothesline. Austin hits the fez press and the back elbow, then puts Kane over the rope. Taker hits some punches. Kane manages to drag Austin out and they brawl to the outside. Taker manages to accidentally hit Kane. Austin then shoves both of them into each other and then cracks, chokes Kane with the TV cable. Taker then does the same to Austin, and then they double-team Austin on the outside, with a double slam onto the Spanish announce table. Taker and Kane then beat down Austin, and then put him back into the ring. Austin tries to fight back, that is, until Taker hits big punches. At this point, the Stooges all come out and stand in the aisleway watching on. Taker and Kane brawl with Austin on the outside. Austin manages to get the advantage, only to be backdropped onto the concrete floor at the top. Austin then tries to attack Briscoe, only for Kane, Taker and Sergeant Slaughter all to put the boots in. Taker and Kane then drag Austin back to the ring. Taker then smashes Austin into the stairs and then into the ring. Elbows to the knees. Kane puts in some boots and chokes Austin at the same time. Austin manages to battle his way back up as he beats down Kane with some punches, and then Taker hits a backdrop. More double teaming by Kane and Taker, only for Austin then to kick a roll up and grab a chair. He hits a big shot to Kane, which gets a two count, as Taker breaks up the pin with the chair himself. He then with a chair shot of his own. But at this point, Kane pulls Taker off the pin. They then have a face-off. They on Austin. Kane goes up top and hits a big clubbing blow, gets a two count, as Taker pulls Kane off the pin. Taker starts attacking Kane. There's some headbutts and big punches. Kane then hits a big boot to Taker. And then they use... Take it as a tennis ball as they play punch tennis with Austin. Kane then hits a big boot and Austin hits a clothesline to the outside. 
Austin then jumps Kane with a side Russian leg sweep and gets a two count. Kane headbutts Taker and then punches. Kane beats on Austin in the corner. At this point, Taker and Kane have finally started to work together again, but stopping each other's pins. Taker then punches Kane and they exchange blows again. Kane smashes Taker into the corner and they hit a double joke slam. Austin, who gets a bit of a second wind as he beats down both, he whips Kane into Taker, which puts Taker to the outside. He then hits him with a slam. Austin goes up top again, but this time Taker grabs him and shoves him into the floor. Austin manages to hit a stunner onto Kane, but he's shoved into a big boot. There's a double choke slam, and both men cover Austin for the win. We're left at the end of the match thinking, who is the winner? But we see Vince run down, get given the belt, and leaves with it. As we're about to go off the air, Austin attacks all the Stooges and makes his way to the back, as we see Vince legging it into a limo and flipping off Austin as we go off air. So this was much more of a traditional style handicap match, you know, with the beating down and constant double teaming. But we had that sort of few moments of jeopardy when Taker and Kane sort of went at each other. There was tension of dissension, which is always a really good thing. And I love how the show ends with Vince running off with the title and flipping off Austin because his master plan did work. He got the belt away from Austin. I think this one is definitely one of those matches which you're not here for the quality of match, but you're definitely here for the story of the match. What do you reckon, Dan? Couldn't have put it better myself. This was not a work-rate classic, but you were watching it and not taking your eyes off it throughout the entire match because there was always well-paced moments where Austin got hope spots, but... Not long, not long enough that you never ever thought that this was going to go in his favour. You always had that dread that it was inevitable that Kane Undertaker would win, and when it comes, it it does feel a bit deflating. But that's what happens. You know, this wasn't even Austin couldn't overcome. You know, these two monsters. Um, our own McDaddy, Mister McNamara, said that when Austin won the belt back in WrestleMania, he shouldn't lose it for a good year, get a long run title run. I disagree with that, and I think this match shows why, because if if Austin had somehow managed to win this match, I think the believability of any future title match that he's involved with would go out the window, because this is the ultimate boss fight. This was the two biggest heels who are seven foot tall. One of them has been positioned as the biggest big man in the company for eight years, and the other one is a demon who has been pushed to the moon for a year. Austin shouldn't win this match, and he didn't. And I I think that was the right call, because everybody in wrestling knows the chase is more is the best part of watching any good babyface try and overcome the odds. And Mr. McMahon's um, little... Salvo at the end of this show, you know, you don't have it anymore. It's mine is 
Evil Incarnate. This is the Empire Strikes Back of pay-per-views, and it's great for the next half of the year going into WrestleMania 15. You would not get that kind of intrigue into this product if Austin had somehow managed to win this match. So the match itself is is just there. <laughs> There's no real big spots in it. There's um, a couple of messy moments, particularly at the end with a bit of miscommunication with Taker being too slow. Um, but look, this, you didn't watch the match for being to get a five-star classic out of this. You watched this match to see if Austin could overcome the odds and if the master plan would would work. And it did work. And that's what we come out of the show thinking. And I think that's a good positive move. So, sort of overall with this, it's a really hard one to say about because, as we've said, the majority of the matches on the show are pretty lackluster at best. You know, there's the open is good. I really, really like the Triple Threat Cage match. Obviously, this match, for story and context of what I think we're going to be seeing for the foreseeable future, is a must-see. It's it's hard to say it, but just for the three free matches on this that are worth seeing, you sort of have to watch it. And it's going to be weird when I sort of come up with what my score is for the overall show when I say... It's it's one that you have to definitely watch, but you can watch a lot of it with fast forward. Um, what's your overalls on this, Dan, and your score out of ten? Yes, it's hard. I I was not bored, and I think the show's value for money, which is always my kind of barometer when trying to judge a show. I infamously put No Way Out of Texas as 5 out of 10, so was it better than that? I think yes. But as you said, there is a lot of fluff on this show, and there is a lot of filler, which could have been put to the wayside. Um, uh, I'm going to give it a 6, but I think I might be... uh, That is going to be too generous, I think, down the line. But right now, I'm, I'm feeling... I'm normally a positive one on this show, so I'm going to give it a six. It would have been a seven if not for Val Venus. See, as I said, it's one of those shows that has one amazing match, a really good opener, and a main event that you just have to see. But as I did say, it is one of those that you can you know, fast-forward lots of it and you're not really missing a great deal. So overall, I do give it a five, but it is definitely one to watch just for the context of those three matches. So we end the month with one more episode of Monday Night Raw. The show opens with Austin's music. But it isn't Austin that we see coming down. It is Vince, his stooges, and a whole load of Chicago Cops. He tells us there will be no rematch, plus tonight he says we will have a new champion and that champion will get a real title belt. Not that smoking skull belt, because that is going above his mantle. But time heals all wounds. 
However, the next time that I say, I guarantee you something, I bet you listen to me. You can take it to the bank. And you know what? That's all I ever wanted from Stone Cold Steve Austin. I simply wanted him to listen to me and take direction. We could have done this the easy way, Austin. Oh, but no. We had to do it your way. We had to do it the hard way. However, now, I'm proud to say we're doing things the Vince McMahon way. And as such, Austin, unlike the last time that you lost the WWF Championship, let me assure you, there will be no rematch. Let me repeat that. There will be no rematch. Wow. Very unfair. However, in a magnanimous gesture, Stone Cold Steve Austin, to show you that I, I don't, I. Starting an Austin chant? What are you saying? To show you, Austin, that I don't carry a grudge. Tonight, we will celebrate your career, Austin. I will deem, I will decree tonight, Stone Cold Steve Austin night. Wow, how big-hearted, JR! Matter of fact, Mr. Austin, we have uh, some choice individuals that I believe a professional welcoming committee is here to welcome you to make certain that indeed you have easy access to and from this facility. Detroit police However, officers. That's not the only reason for a celebration tonight. There's another. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, in this very ring, we will crown a new World Wrestling Federation champion. And that new WWF champion will be presented the official World Wrestling Federation Championship belt. Not this one across my broad shoulder. Oh no, you see? This was a championship belt that Stone Cold Steve Austin had made for himself. Look at it with the skull on it. How embarrassing. There's only one place that this championship belt is going, and that's above my fireplace, on my mantle, in one of my homes. <laughs> Bring a tear to a glass It'll eye. It'll be placed there with all my other awards and trophies. So what about it, Stone Cold? Will you join us tonight for your own celebration. Will you, Austin, join us as we present the official WWF Championship belt to the new 
World Wrestling Federation Champion. The first match of the show sees the Outlaws going against Southern Justice in a tag team title match. Southern Justice win by DQ as Road Dog hits Dennis Knight with the guitar. Post-match, the Outlaws argue. Billy hits X-Puck as he comes down to try and help and also kicks off with Triple H in China on his way back to stage. We then get Owen Hart versus Dan Severin in a submission match. This goes to a no contest as Owen hits this sit-out tombstone as he did to Austin and seems to have injured and probably done Dan Severin. We're yet to hear how much reality is in this and whether it's a legitimate injury or it's storyline, but I am hoping it's the latter. Can you imagine if it is the former? Good God. Yeah, it is. See, that's why I think it's a a storyline. A guy as good as Owen hurting two wrestlers in the space of a year with the same move. That's too many uh, coincidences for me. So, yeah, I'm hoping it's storyline, but... We can both always Yeah, exactly. We then see Al Snow going against Vader. Al wins after using head. We then get a really interesting match. A four-corners elimination match for the number one contendership for the European title. The way this works is there's six guys in the match. Four of them are around the outside. They have to be tagged in. And it's elimination style, so last man wins. D'Lo wins, but we'll go through the eliminations. Edge eliminates Gangrel with a roll-up. Double J and Droz get counted out. Edge pins Mark Mero after D'Lo hits the lowdown. And then D'Lo gets the win after hitting the sky high on Edge. We then see our industrious leader, Vince, come out again. He calls down Taker and Kane, and you'll hear that now. It was a mind game for everybody. You think McMahon's got enough security around There's him? There's no question, Undertaker, that both you and Kane deserve to be the WWF champion. The two of you single-handedly covered Stone Cold Steve Austin for the championship. The two of you who have had tremendous battles between the two of you.
I ain't through with you, bitch. I ain't through with you, not yet by a long shot. Mr. McMahon was going to present the WWF title to the new champion. We still don't know who that's going to be. Off to crash the party with a Zamboni machine. This ain't going to be safe from Stone Cold Steve Austin. Easy there, but. All right, all right. All right. Show show I've done it before. I've done it before. Take his ass to jail. Take his ass to jail. You go to jail, you son of a bitch. All right, hold him back. You go to jail. Folks, our audio problems, we understand, are corrected. Mr. McMahon just apologized for his language. Slam, slam the door on him. Oh, come on, Vince. All right. Let him go. Let him go. Let him go. Yeah, bring him. Yeah, let him fight you. He's handcuffed. Relax. Relax. Yeah, let him go. It might be a fair fight that way. Well, Austin's going to jail. But this just may not be the last time we see Austin tonight, King. What follows is maybe one of the great moments of TV. As we see Stone Cold Steve Austin driving a Zamboni, which I'm told is the machine that they clean the ice, ice hockey games with, into the arena, jumps on top of it, takes out Vince and a few policemen, and gets himself arrested. As we see him getting thrown into a cop car, he utters the wonderful line, I'm not through with you, Vince. Not through with you, not even by a long shot. We come back from break to see Vince out in the ring again, saying that Austin has managed to attack him three times in the past week. So Taker and Kane didn't live up to their end of the deal of protecting him, so nor will he. So he announces at the pay-per-view, Taker versus Kane with Austin as the ref. Kane and Taker look like they're about to leave as Vince decides he's going to flip them off. Taker sees it and he and Kane beat down Vince. They focus solely on the leg with knees to, to the elbow or yeah, elbows to the knees even. And then putting his leg between the stairs as they smash the stairs upon his ankle. Presentation apparently. We're about to present the WWF Championship. However, if you recall, the deal was Undertaker and Kane. You would get the title shot as long as you kept Stone Cold Steve Austin away from me. But three times, three times in less than a week, Austin has brutally attacked me. That's right. So let me say this. You didn't live up to your end of the deal. I'm not going to live up to mine. What? You're gonna have to fight for it.
on the next pay-per-view. October 18, you two are gonna battle it out for the WWF Championship. That's a judgment day in three weeks. Whether you like it or not. And by the way, since you can't team to, seem to keep Stone Cold out of your business and mine, good. I'm gonna put him in it. Austin is gonna be the guest referee. Oh my God in heaven. What? Austin to referee Kane and The Undertaker and Stone Cold. Day. Austin, I just hope that somewhere your cellmate is telling you all of this right about now. <laughs> because I'm gonna be there to watch him suffer the indignity of having to count one of you two monsters to the WWF Championship. Can you imagine that? However, so that everyone here in this arena is not cheated, so that everyone at home watching Raw gets their money's worth, then in this ring tonight, you will see Undertaker and Kane in a handicapped tag team match. Take charge, Vince. Against three individuals. Three? Ken Shamrock. Mankind. What? And The Rock. Oh, yeah! Shamrock, Mankind! The Rock against The Undertaker King here tonight live! And maybe, just maybe, you can get it right. I'd like to wish you the best of luck. You know why? Because I think the two of you are gonna need it. Because as far as I'm concerned, it's like dealing with the handicapped. Uh-oh, easy. One's physical, and the other is mental. Oh, look at the look of that Good face. Good luck to you both. Wait a minute. Get your hands off him. You need to watch your ass. Because the next time you get out of line with either one of us, you're gonna be the one handicapped. And that I will promise. Mr. McMahon has been warned.
Oh, no, oh, no, oh. They're holding the ankle and the knee across the steps. Undertaker, oh, no! We then see Farouk go against Mark Henry with China as the special guest referee. Farouk wins after China hits a low blow and a super fast count. The Oddities have a match against the Headbangers in which they win after the ICP, who are their friends and confidants, trip Frasher so Kurgan can hit a big splash and get the pin. We then see Val Venus going against X-Pac for the European title. Val wins by DQ after China beats down Val. At this point, we see Billy Gunn storming out of the arena. Dissension in DX. Then our main event of the evening sees Kane and Undertaker going against Ken Shamrock, The Rock and Mankind. Rock gets the win after hitting the rock bottom on Taker. Ken, Mick and Rock all beat each other down. That is until Kane and Taker close out the show. So last week's TV, there are some big talking points to come out of this. We'll go with the latter one first, which is, as we said earlier, Rock seems to be getting a massive push and sort of getting pushed to the moon. Nothing says more than that than beating the taker clean with the finishing move. Yeah, I'm stunned. I genuinely was stunned. Because not even, you know, Sean and Brett were doing that when they were at the peak of their powers. And this is even more advanced Undertaker where he's, you know, he's... He's evil. He's turned heel and you he's been the dominant force of his brother for the last month and he has been pinned clean by a guy who was a chicken shit heel a month ago. You know, that is the ultimate you know, thumbs up and an endorsement that you are going to be around the main event scene for the next, you know, three months or so. I mean, Taker has done that now what, he's laid down clean for Austin and Rock in the last two months? Mm-hmm. So he's clearly either being feeling a bit more generous or he's needing to kind of pass the torch on a little bit. I mean, maybe he's feeling that his time's coming up or, you know, he's going to be the top heel coming soon because you imagine that's what's going to happen. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 it's a huge in, endorsement for The Rock. I think most people who listen to this podcast know I'm a huge fan of him, so I'm, I'm really happy to see him getting this push. Um and you, we're assuming that Undertaker's going to be the the guy who comes out with the belt next month after he beats Kane again. Then Rock versus Undertaker has already been set up a little bit anyway. So that's good. That's good. Little medium term booking seeds being sown there. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm all for this. Must admit. So next part, Dissension in DX. Are we looking at, you know, the beginning of the end? They've got all the belts, so they've got nowhere else to go upwards. Is it time to, you know, break them up? Not with Billy Gunn. Let's put it that way. Um, DX splits has been teased for, what, four months 
I think, since they kind of turned face. And it is definitely now, for me at least, the symptom of the boy who cried wolf. I will not even be remotely interested in DX splits until Billy Gunn hits Road Dog over the head with a guitar or a chair. Um, and again, as I've said, I think they are in a weird place because Triple H is injured, you know, by all accounts. He's not wrestling. X Park is a really good young underdog babyface at the minute. So Billy Gunn's the only guy who you want to turn. But at the same time, New Age Outlaws are the only over tag team they've got. So I don't think you want to do it now. You obviously do it around the, the the calendar year Royal Rumble style turn. I think they clearly see B, Billy Gunn, you know, having some potential. He was partnered of Austin early in the month against Kane and Unsaker, so they clearly think he's good enough to be considered for a main event push, but I don't think he's come that far since he was Rockabilly last year and yes, he has improved, but not that much. If you're gonna turn anyone it's going to be Triple H or X-Pac, not one of the New Age Outlaws yet. So, for me, that's a non-starter. And we we can't not discuss the big moment of the month. Austin, Vince, and Austin's love of random machinery that he can just find and drive into buildings. Yeah. Um, I know it's just happened. I know it's fresh in my brain. I think this is my favourite moment in history in wrestling. I literally have never, quote, marked out more in my life than seeing Austin tear through the backstage area, crush one of the lamps, drive through the Titantron and drive into the ring. There's, it's just so unexpected. It's it's not wrestling. It's never been done before. It's with a guy who is loved by the crowd. You've got like it's not been talked about, but Jim Ross's commentary is absolutely iconic. This this last month, he not even in the main event last you know last night in the pay per view, he was so integral to making you feel that Austin had a chance in in that match, and he is on point. When Austin comes through that Titantron, he is so passionate. He's so enthusiastic. He's clearly friends of Austin in real life, so he's putting it all into this. Joey Lawler's funny with his, you know, corporate, you know, screaming, and Vince is on point. It's just perfect. Nothing. There's nothing I have loved more watching wrestling than this moment. It's fantastic. Um, and I know it's it's silly. I know it's not, you know, old school. I know it's not you know, five-star matches. I know it's not Ric Flair in Starcade, and I know all that, but come on, if you didn't like this, you're watching the wrong thing. This is just bonkers fun. It's fantastic. See, to me, it harks back to last year when he turned up with his uh, pickup truck and beat down the nation and was, like, dropping stunners on the windows and stuff. And I, I don't know what it is, but just adding vehicles and Stone Cold just seems to be a, a perfect match. So, obviously, we know going forward that him and Vince aren't 
anywhere near done. Obviously, we've heard him be arrested. Vince obviously has his custom bell. Obviously, going into next month, there's got to be some shenanigans because obviously him being the guest ref, I would imagine Vince is going to do something in there because it's Vince. He is a evil, evil man. What do you see in in the sort of coming future as what could be the payoff of this? Because do we get Vince versus Austin as a match, maybe at WrestleMania? You know, it gets to that point where next year's WrestleMania, WrestleMania 15, Vince versus Stone Cold, and we get that true blow-off. I think Vince versus Austin is inevitable. It's just been... You know when you start a feud and it's just like, okay, this is really good, this is fun, let's keep going, and it keeps going and gets better, a bit bit bumps on the way, but it, this now is up there with one of the best views of the decade it's just so it's so much fun it's great tv and even when it is a manager i think there has to be some kind of in ring bell rings austin and mcmahon in the same ring together it can be a tag match it can be a tag match it can be a one-on-one match it could be anything but i just think it does need to happen but i don't think it has to happen at wrestlemania because even then i think like Austin hates McMahon, but he's now lost the title as well. And I don't think even Vince can put the belt on himself. Like he's he, not his ego even isn't that big. So there has to be a proxy in there for Austin to win the belt back from. We've done we've done McFoley already with Dude Love. Could it be the Undertaker? With you know Undertaker's been loyal to WWF for eight years. He's never gone to WCW. He is a Vince guy. Could that be the match? and try and rewrite the wrongs of their SummerSlam match and hope that Austin doesn't get concussed. That I, I would probably go with that one at WrestleMania more than Austin versus Vince and have Austin versus Vince some other pay-per-view. But I know what you mean because it's such a good feud that you want it to be the blow-off to be the biggest pay-per-view of the year. Because but... the thing is, a, a match of that level, Austin versus Vince, would at the moment, would be above the title. I think you don't need the title for that match. That match makes itself. Um, yeah, there's Sometimes there are those matches that don't need the belt. They, they're big enough on their own. Um, and obviously, if, say, going forward, uh, looking at who's, who's there or thereabouts in the minute, but a Mankind or a Rock or... Triple H or you know Kane or Taker has the belt. They could have you know a secondary main event for the title, but your big marquee match is Austin getting his hands on Vince. I mean, you know, in in the grand scheme of people putting their hands in their pockets, that's one of those of sharp and take my money. We're finally going to see Austin and Vince go at it. Uh, it all depends on what they look at as, you know, what's going forward with the booking, but it is an exciting time. Absolutely. And I said before, as I said before, it's good that Vince has actually won a battle, you know, because we've had Austin outsmart him 
predominantly in April and May. And then, you know, great buyers, Vince launches Kenny Undertaker at him. And finally, it's not, he can't outrun him long enough. Vince has won this battle. And then that means that the next three or four months of television is going to be who gains the upper hand next and how much of a living hell is Vince going to put Austin through? How much of a living hell is Austin going to put Vince through? And what, you know, the, the ramifications of this will, will be. Um, and I, I, as you said, though, I didn't, you know, this feud is so big that you don't need to have the title involved, you know, and we could have Rock versus Undertaker or, or, or anything like that for the belt and have Austin McMahon going on at the same time, which is, you know, great for business sense. You've got two big draws going on at the same time. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what's going to happen in the next, you know, three or four months. Short term, I'm not infused of Kane versus Undertaker in a singles match with Austin as the referee, mainly because I'm going to have to watch two slow heels beat the piss out of each other again. So there's going to have to be something done to liven that up a little bit because Austin's not going to, he can't be involved for the majority of the match because otherwise it's just a clusterfuck. Um, but we'll, we'll get to that in the next couple of weeks, I guess. But broad strokes, long term, this is positive. This is really good. This is, you know, let's just hope we don't end up with a Hogan versus Sting scenario where we get the final blow-off match and it's too much of a overbooked mess. Let's try and have some sort of logical conclusion to this. But when I've had a, when we've got a man in Zamboni driving out, I'm not sure logic is involved. Well, this has been a fun month. Um, the WF show will be back under the tutelage of Rory for next month. Um, so it just leaves me to thank you, Dan, for joining me this evening for this what turned out to be a really fun month of WWF. Um, do you have anything that you would like to plug? Uh, no. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> so, you can listen to my musings on music at Show and Tell with Tunes. As always, new show every week. Um, just put out a Volbeat special uh, for anyone who's interested in what a Johnny Cash song through a Metallica guitar tone would sound like. Get on that and listen to that. Um, obviously, as always, if you want to support the show monetarily, please go to Patreon. As I said, the $1 tier will get early access to everything as it's done. $5 tier gets you access to the specials and also early access to shows once they're recorded and done. Um, that is patreon.com forward slash wrestling 20 years ago. And as I said earlier, volume one is the crazy world of WCW and their decision to bring in the Ultimate Warrior. And volume three is ECW and a month of hardcore TV. This has been volume two, the WF years. And until next time, goodbye.